This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. To fulfill the mutual responsibilities of nations as set forth in the Charter, to bring about free world trade and the full employment of man's productive resources, men and women of goodwill everywhere must come to know and understand one another. Feels like back in fourth grade when they made you watch a movie? United Nations propaganda film. In this charter, humanity has declared its united purpose to work towards those economic goals. Mm, yeah, it didn't really work out, did it? The United Nations... Wow, a globalist, anti-American, anti-Israel, totally corrupt institution that right now is encouraging the chaos at the border. You know these people, the U.N. Secretary General came out against Title 42, the United Nations, thoroughly wrong and thoroughly good at propaganda. I remember as a kid going to the United Nations. It was a big deal to see the United Nations. We all went there and we saw the exhibits and they said, wouldn't it be great if the United Nations were in charge of everything? And when you're a child, that is, well, it leaves a mark. I carried around that fantasy for way too long, actually well into adulthood. And then you realize what a corrupt organization it is. And even their seemingly nice ideals are actually quite dangerous. Now, in the sculpture garden at the United Nations, they have this, the twisted gun. And it is to, you know, a symbol of ending all warfare. And isn't that a great thing? And it would be wonderful if there were no warfare and if nobody needed guns. But we do. And look at that twist at the end. It would take a very powerful person or machine to twist that gun, right? I mean, it would take force to render that gun inoperative. Whose force? The governments, the states. The ideal is beautiful, right out of the Bible. Isaiah, I believe, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But that's on Judgment Day, and we're not there yet. This inscription you can find at the United Nations. That twisted gun... I used to find it beautiful. Now it creeps me out. It represents unchecked government power, unchecked global government power. And I don't like that. And I don't like what's happening at the border. And I think the U.N. should have stayed the hell out of it. And speaking, <laughs> the U.N., don't forget, gave us the World Health Organization, the WHO. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? What could be wrong with world health? Well, what's the World Health Organization? A lot corrupt and they covered for President Xi and the Chinese and the Wuhan lab, all the stuff they did. Hey, this coming week is the G7 in Japan. President Biden is going there. Will he try to invite or maybe stop by China on the way back home? Remember how tight he was supposed to be with China. Remember that, right? 
the president still wants to keep those lines of communication uh, open. We maintain that we're going to have a, a, another discussion with President Xi. The president wants to do that, wants to keep those lines open. We certainly like to get him over to Beijing to open up some more of those lines of communication. Wait, wait, I thought they were supposed to be really tight. Now they're just saying, basically, we're keeping the phones on the hook, okay? In case it rings, we'll be ready on either side. It wasn't supposed to be like this with Joe and the Chinese, remember? I've spent more time with Xi Jinping, at least before we get out, than any world leader has. I've probably spent more time with Xi Jinping, I'm told, than any world leader has because I... I had 24, 25 hours of private meetings with him when I was vice president, traveled 17,000 miles with him. I have spoken and spent more time with Xi Jinping than any other world leader has. You know he's just talking to potential customers. Meetings and personal conversations with Xi Jinping. Nobody is impressed by that. We expect presidential leaders to know each other. He was very bizarrely boastful about his connection to President Xi. Apparently, it did him good. It did Hunter some good. Maybe his brother, maybe Valerie, maybe Haley. But it's not doing the American people any good at all. Uh, I do believe he's compromised by China. They've got something on him. It explains his very aberrant behavior, doesn't it? And who would we, pref we prefer in power right now? Just let's compare and contrast two leaders and their approach to China. I have many people from China that I do business with. They laugh at us. They, they feel we're fools. You know, they're getting away with absolute murder. China's a great nation. And we should hope for the continued expansion. Tough I don't want to lose $300 billion a year to China when we can't afford to build schools for our children, when we can't afford to build highways, when we can't afford to build railways, okay. when we can't afford to build bridges. I want money to be invested in jobs and in this country. I don't want to rebuild China. A rising China is a positive, positive development, not only for China, but for America and the world writ large. It was China's fault. And China is going to pay a big price what they've done to this country. China is going to pay a big price what they've done to the world. This was China's fault. And just remember that. 554,064 American dead from COVID-19. A lot of families want to know how this happened, how it got here. Have you had a chance to speak to any of your international partners, any of uh, President Xi, who I know you go way back with? Have you had a chance to ask him if these reports are true, that China maybe misled the world at the beginning? No, I, I have not had that conversation with President Xi. Thank you. So the choice is clear. Who do you think China prefers in the White House for the next six years? They are so rooting for Biden. And as far as foreign countries picking our presidents, uh, they always have their preferences. But one thing I know the Russia stuff was a total sham, and you know who was right. Ultimately, I'm always right. So the Durham report, um, it's a big deal, kind of. It's the only report we got. We should have had it three years ago. I'm very suspicious. I think the swamp slow walked this thing on purpose. I think Durham, quite frankly, is pussyfooting around, right? I think I can say that. Uh, being very, very delicate when he doesn't have to be. This is, look, there's some stuff in here. And we just can't blame the mainstream media for not covering it, okay? Conservative media, you got to tackle this stuff before you criticize 
the liberal media for ignoring it. Now, it's 300-plus pages long. It's like, quite frankly, reading a telephone book of a mid-sized city. Remember those telephone books? It's about, I mean, your eyes, you got to... You got, they, they wrote it boring on purpose, okay? They did. Uh, Bill Barr, I don't think he wanted this thing to be exciting. I think they wanted a slow walk. And you know how he feels about President Trump. They sabotaged his presidency. He knew it every step of the way. Why would it have taken so long for this report? Four years? And they were really only evaluating a couple of months of activity. So the report is tough to read. I do believe on purpose. James Madison, one of our great founding fathers, put it this way. It will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice. If the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read or so incoherent that they cannot be understood. Now, I know this is not a law. It is a report, but it is quite voluminous, almost like they don't want it read. And at times it is borderline incoherent, like they're trying to water down the impact of what should be a totally sensational, game-changing moment. But the bureaucracy is still working against Trump and still protecting the bureaucracy, the swamp. Now, a couple of basics before we tackle this thing, because I'm about a third of the way through it. It is definitely tough to get through. But here's how the FBI functions, all right? The FBI, remember, they got a lot of people, they've got a lot of guns, and they've got a lot, a lot, a lot of rules, regulations, laws that they are supposed to follow. And in this case, they blew off a lot of the rules. Definitely, I believe, a lot of the laws. But they have procedure, they have standard operating procedure, and they blew it all off to get Trump. Absolutely. And to protect Hillary Clinton. This goes back to Operation Crossfire in 2016. You know how it started? It's really absurd. But a guy named George Papadopoulos, who I've met a couple of times, nice guy, very good at foreign policy, was volunteering for the Trump campaign. He worked at a think tank. He was having drinks at a bar in London with some guy he thought was a pal, happened to be from Australia. And he was saying something about, yeah, we might be, uh, who knows, intel from uh, Russia. We may be hearing stuff from Russia. It was in a bar. It was loud. Maybe the Australian guy misheard what he was saying. It doesn't matter. Just some guy speaking to some other guy in a bar should not trigger an FBI investigation, a full FBI investigation. But it did. But it did. Let's go to the report. You got to go through it. A31. The information from Papadopoulos was clearly raw and unevaluated. The FBI opened a full investigation before any preliminary discussions or interviews were undertaken. It was McCabe who directed that the Crossfire Hurricane investigation be opened immediately. The FBI executives were unanimous in supporting the opening of the investigation, and there is no indication that these discussions contemplated anything short of an immediate full investigation. All right. So many words, but here's the thing. And it's, it's camouflaged in this report, but you can ultimately find it. A full investigation in the FBI is a big deal. There are lots of things they're supposed to do first, a lot. They have a whole sequence of events that they blew off because they wanted to get Trump. First, there's the pre-assessment phase of an investigation. It's a formal phase. It's in writing. And then they move on to the assessment. 
And then they move on to the preliminary investigation. And then finally, a full investigation. They skipped steps one, two, three to get right to four based on some bar talk in London that was unverified, unevaluated, and unscrutinized. And by the way, when you hear something like, hey, maybe they're working with the Russians, you check your own files first. And the FBI, they got a lot of files. And they had nothing, nothing linking Trump to Russia before some guy said the word Russia and Trump in the same sentence in some bar in London. It's kind of incredible and also kind of scary. So at a later point in time, oh, all right, what is this? This is a conversation between two agents, all right? They're in the middle of a full investigation, and they're looking at how little they have to work with. One guy is appalled, all right? Agent number one, dude, are we telling them, the British intelligence services, everything we know? Or is there more to this? That's all we have. Not holding anything back. Damn, that's thin. I know. It sucks. It's a bad case. It was a bad case. It is a bad case. But they use this silly conversation in a London bar to put wiretaps on operatives, uh, campaign workers for Trump. And listen to this. During the prior six weeks, the team had used CHS's confidential human sources to conduct operations against Paige Papadopoulos and a high-level Trump campaign official, although those operations had not resulted in the collection of any inculpatory information. Now, I've heard of exculpatory information. I have never heard that word used, inculpatory. I know what it means. I mean, anything that makes them look guilty, potentially so. But they use that word inculpatory, which I have never heard before. I know I'm not alone. I've never even read that word before. Why are they using this bureaucratic language, huh? They're watering it down. They're lessening the impact, and they're doing it on purpose. That's on you, uh, Durham and maybe Bill Barr. It's strange, isn't it? Keep going, though. There is some stuff in here. The intelligence analysts selected for Crossfire Hurricane were uniformly inexperienced. How about that? Also, the analysts done in Crossfire Hurricane was also limited by the counterintelligence division's failure to integrate the Directorate of Intelligence into the investigation as required by policy. Remember I was talking about those rules before? They blew them off. That is bureaucratic, but that is wrong. And it was a way to stick it to Trump and also to get the experts out of the way. They would know that the Steele dossier is phony, that this guy Steele created a crock of junk. All right? And they could not have the real experts inside the FBI onto any of that. Whew. So Hillary Clinton comes up in the Durham report. Now, Hillary, as you know, she and Bill, lots of people all over the world have inculpatory information about those characters. And guess what? They are calling the FBI all the time with real tips, with real juicy scoops. But the FBI, oh, no, 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 no. We have to have a preliminary assessment. Then we have to have an assessment. And then we have to have a deputy. They went through the procedures and they slow walked it. They slow walked this report. They slow walked anything concerning Hillary Clinton. 
Let's go. The application for an investigation lingered because everyone was super more careful and scared with the big name Clinton involved. They were pretty tippy-toeing around HRC because there was a chance she would be the next president. Certain critical activity in the investigation was delayed for months due to, among other things, concerns that a politician Clinton was involved and that the investigation might interfere with a presumed future presidential campaign. Now, here, check this out. How these observations can be reconciled is unclear. You think so, John? <laughs> I can see it from here. Why are you so reluctant? It's unclear. It's hideous and total bias and corruption. One more. The speed with which, this is a lot of words, but stay with me here. The speed with which surveillance of a U.S. person associated with Trump's campaign was authorized in the face of the unverified steel reports and in the absence of a defensive briefing provided to then-candidate Trump are difficult to explain. All right, so look, if they really thought the Russians were knocking down the door at Trump headquarters, they would have gone to Trump and said, hey, you got to be wary of this. But they didn't want to tip him off that they were tiptoeing around looking for stuff. A defensive briefing is what they gave Hillary every step of the way. Ooh, this could be happening to you, Madam Secretary. And this could be happening to you, Madam Secretary. They were like a concierge service. And it's crazy. Oh, by the way, you know about this. Although there's some juicy text that I have not seen before between Page and Strzok. Uh, they didn't like Bernie Sanders. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. They are just going on and on. Everybody's a D word. Trump is a disaster. I, 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 I knew they hated him, but they just were they ever working? Were they ever investigating? They were just texting each other. And it was always how smart they are and how dumb everybody else is, especially MAGA. Anyway, so this report lands yesterday and the mainstream media, they're not going to explore it fully because it implicates them. Uh, and who did they feature? Andrew McCabe, deputy FBI director, gets to go on CNN and downplay this report that, if you look closely enough, implicates him. Same goes for Strzok and the rest of them. They go on show after show defending themselves. Isn't that wild? Isn't that totally and completely outrageous? And everyone's moving on, right? Everyone's moving on, I guess. I mean, they all did it essentially. So therefore, nobody did it. And they sabotaged our president, even their president. They sabotaged the first half of his term. You remember this stuff? The FBI and congressional officials investigating the Trump campaign's potential ties to Russia in exchange for immunity. Federal investigators explore the potential financial ties of President Trump and associates to Russia. An opinion piece in the New York Times from the co-founders of Fusion GPS. That's the company behind the dossier. Uh, uh, ah, it was bad enough Trump's the first time and it goes on and on month after month, year after year. And it's all a fantasy. It's all something really cooked up by Hillary Clinton's people. They duped everybody, although people wanted to be duped. And oh, by the way, remember this, when Trump said he was being spied on, he was absolutely right. I'll never forget how, how shocked the media was. Trump's unproven spy claims tonight, saying someone from the FBI might have infiltrated his campaign. But the president providing no evidence. No evidence from the president, huh? Well, this is it's cumbersome. 
They wrote it in a boring fashion, but this is evidence that they spied on him, that the people who were supposed to protect democracy undermined it, and they cheated, and they're doing it again, and they're lecturing MAGA about democracy. How about that? So why isn't anybody prosecuted? Well, they say basically no laws are broken. Here, the law does not always make a person's bad judgment, even horribly bad judgment, a crime. So they sabotage the presidency and no one's going to go to jail. But Donald Trump got arrested six weeks ago. Can anybody even remember why? Why did this even happen? It's a joke and everybody knows it, especially Strzok, McCabe, Comey, and the rest of them, and especially John Durham. Hey, thanks for nothing. Be right back. Hey guys, it's Carson. I've been talking about how crazy the world is with uh, supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices. We've all seen how crazy this woke nonsense is going on with these big corporations, and it's time to let our voices be heard. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? We vote with our dollars. That's how we make a difference. No more shopping big box stores if you can get those items at a family-owned company. PatriotSwitch.com helps people walk away from the big box conglomerates. We can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. That's why Patriot Switch was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. I love what the folks at Patriot Switch are doing for us. One of the best ways to get around this one of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation today is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than the shareholders and their corporate executives. Each of us can choose to take market shares away from these big companies that have enjoyed unfair advantages and instead choose to help regular people with family-owned made in America. Make a difference right now. Go to patriotswitch.com. That's PatriotSwitch.com. Well, I'm not sure you should assume I'm not corrupt, but I'm thank you for that. I think the American public, in a way, rips off we politicians by forcing us to run the way they do. To raise $300,000 is no mean feat. I went to the big guys for the money. I was ready to prostitute myself in the, man the manner in which I talk about it. I was ready to prostitute myself. Oh, boy, Joe could prostitute himself, prostitute himself. He talked about it all the time on the campaign trail as a, uh, or actually shortly after he got to the United States Senate, he's already a senator talking about prostituting himself. Well, he's prostituting himself big time and pandering like, uh, I mean, it's even bad for Joe. You know, he's losing support in the black community big time, big time. This is, I mean, this kind of fall, he's in desperate, desperate shape. And already a panderer, it's gone into exponentially worse territory at Howard University uh, over the weekend. You know what he said, right? I mean, he said horrible things about white supremacy. And, uh, but that's what he does. And he wraps himself so tight with, uh, and he kind of lies to that community, I think because he thinks he can get away with it. But he actually can. And then he says he's aware that he's kind of conning them. He points out that I'm not just conning you, I con all kinds of people. I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. 
All right, we did this yesterday. I just want to point out, we keep looking up where he said it, where he doesn't. It's interesting. He talks about Georgia voting. He doesn't mention anything about uh, white supremacy. He talks about Hispanic issues. He doesn't talk about white supremacy. Uh, but in other places, he chooses to bring it up. I guess when it calls for maximum pandering, let's see where he does talk about it, okay? Uh, the inauguration speech, sure, we remember that. Uh, the Tulsa rate, that's a given, of course. What else? Uh, University of Delaware, his home turf, right? Uh, remarks, oh, on Martin Luther King Day this year. This was the height of pandering, and we're going to see a lot more of it given Joe's poll numbers. Take a look. You know, if you build a, in the last 25 years, if you build a, a, a housing development on one side of an interstate highway and you built the same one on the opposite side and one is predominantly black and the other is predominantly white, guess what? The value of the exact same home built by the exact same builder is more valuable on the white side of that highway than on the, on the black side. That's a fact. So we're going to aggressively, aggressively combat racial discrimination in housing. Is that it? That's, that's the fact, right? Has nothing to do with any other factors, any other socioeconomic factors. It's just a matter of skin color, huh? This is pandering. This is race baiting. This is divisive. And this is Joe Biden. This is what he does. This is what Democrats do. And it's getting worse. And you know what? Instead of just giving pompous speeches, if only he could get on the phone and flex some muscle and actually get some things done for the community, for his constituents. You know, they're putting illegal migrants inside city schools, public schools. It's actually happening right here. We're learning that several schools will be used to house incoming asylum seekers. The preparations are nearly done. This video shot inside shows the cots and supplies ready for migrants arriving this week. Parents tell us they were notified on Sunday by Brooklyn District 15 superintendent about this decision. Parents upset with the short notice are concerned about the safety of students ranging from pre-K to fifth grade. It is so bizarre. I thought I was hallucinating. I mean... Migrants, illegal migrants, are going to be put in school gymnasiums while school's in session with kids at the school. It's insane. Any normal president would get on the phone and tell that nitwit Eric Adams, what the hell are you doing? You can do that when you're president. You can get on the phone and get things done. It's not all about signing things and taking pictures and giving speeches. Trump knew how to do it. They owed $7 million to Grucci, and they uh, were all set to do it, and then they decided to cancel. So I then called up Grucci. I said, listen, it's way far away from my location, but I'll give you a million dollars. I called up the commissioner, a very good guy, and I said, commissioner, uh, what can we do to get Big Ten football back? Well, I don't know. So we started, and we started a little thing, the commissioner, myself. And I saved the energy business. I got Russia, and I got Saudi Arabia on the phone, and they cut way back, and we're now at... $40 and plus a barrel, and we're saving tens of millions of jobs in energy. We're the number one in energy in the world. So that's the way it's done. It can be done that way. I mean, the president is kind of supposed to run the country. And Joe, I mean, I'm sorry. If it's not on a cue card, he can't pick up the phone and work anything. He doesn't know how. He's an, I hate to say it, he's basically an invalid. And everybody knows this. Everybody. Michelle Obama, it could happen. I'll be right back.
So President Xi of China, he is an enemy, no doubt about it. Joe keeps telling us he's their best friends, but we know this is, uh, this is bad and it's getting worse. The guy wants to take over the world. He could take over Taiwan tomorrow. I'm really worried. Uh, we got two major experts and one made me worry even more. We got Blaine Holt, the retired Brigadier General from the Air Force and Gordon Chang, uh, an amazing China expert. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. But I saw this tweet this morning from you, Gordon Chang, and I really got very super nervous. Pray with all your heart. We're about to face the unimaginable. Uh, Gordon, uh, it's not April Fool's. Uh, what, 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 what's going on here, man? Uh, how are you? Welcome, both gentlemen. Uh, what are you talking about? Well, thank you. What I'm talking about is that uh, Xi Jinping talks about war all the time. So does the Chinese military. But more important, um, Xi is getting Chinese society, both civilian and military, ready for war. He is mobilizing China's civilians, Chinese industry, Chinese agriculture. And we could be at war at any time. And it's not just that Xi Jinping wakes up one morning and says, we're attacking Taiwan. It could very well be one of these dangerous intercepts in the global commons goes horribly wrong. And the Chinese political system right now is configured only to give the most hostile answers which means they're not backing down even when they're 100 percent wrong. All right. Uh, well, Gordon, I'm, I'm actually general. We could beat China in a war right now today, right? Militarily, that is true at this time. The problem is the cost of that war keeps going up and up and up as we let the Chinese gain the advantage, not just militarily, but diplomatically. If we look in places like Europe, Central America, South America, they are doing what we used to do in the old days. They're gaining coalitions. They're using their money to uh, gain influence. They're outmaneuvering us in the global commons economically. What does that translate to? A coalition of some future kind in a war with us. We can take China militarily. Greg, we cannot take the entire world on at one time. And we're being weakened and China's taking advantage right now. And and we have to take this very seriously. Uh, Gordon's exactly right. All right. Can I see Gordon's tweet one more time, please? Um, because I want to ask you, we're about to face the unimaginable. Now, Gordon, I can imagine war. I mean, I, I, hey, I was, at the, I was in the Iraq invasion. I, I witnessed that. Uh, I know what war looks like. Uh, so I can imagine that. Is this war going to be worse? I mean, what do you mean by unimaginable? Yeah, this is, can be a very different war. So, for instance, we probably won't know when the war begins because China's going to be spreading a disease. Um, they learned a lot about COVID-19 and how it affected American society. They're going to do the same thing on Taiwan and in the United States. Also, we have all of these uh, males of military age unaccompanied by family groups that are coming into our southern border. These are saboteurs, Ministry of State Security agents or People's Liberation Army. And these are the guys who are going to be attacking our grid, poisoning our water, assassinating officials, detonating bombs in shopping centers. And the war is going to be fought on the first day on American soil. Plus, by the way, China's going to use nukes in all probability, which means this war is not going to stay conventional. OK, I thought you would allay my fears. That has not happened. I'm doubly worried. Uh, but All right. Let me ask you, General. Um, maybe we should start thinking first strike. Maybe we should not wait for China to make the move. I mean, look, we have a military. I know you're not supposed to say we attack first, but maybe we should attack first. I mean, we're just talking here. It's just a talk show, but maybe we should talk. Maybe we should uh, preemptively attack. General. 
I just I don't see how we win in a first strike situation. The problem is we're our enemy is the CCP. It's not the Chinese people. So we could go take out a country like we would do in our normal wartime doctrine. What you would do is effectively defeat the Chinese people. You would not defeat their command and control or the regime itself. We are vulnerable right now. What we need to start doing is hardening our cyber systems. We need to decouple our relationship with China. We need to untangle ourselves. We need to start to extirpate ourselves from the Chinese operatives we know in our country. We need to discover whether this administration is compromised or not. And if they are, take immediate action to defend ourselves. But going at China and the Chinese people won't net us much. But but we, as an open and 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 democratic society are open to having our, our cyber systems, our infrastructure, our way of life, our democracies completely torn down through hybrid warfare before it ever gets to war. And when we show how great the United States military is, boom, we're off to the nuclear side of this because the Chinese PLA will be backed into a corner. All right. Now, you said if they're compromised, if the Biden administration is compromised, which it definitely seems to be, I mean, it's clear to me, um, and we have to defend ourselves. Well, what do you mean by that? But what I mean is, is that, first off, I'll, I'll give the administration their due, innocent until proven guilty. I believe in the Constitution and I believe in due process. However, if we have an administration that is in some way through a laptop or whatever else compromised by China, we're on a razor's edge with China right now. We have to immediately make that the priority in Congress, not just do theater, but actually hold the national security team to account. Yeah. start to protect ourselves from external influences that could be undermining our security here at home. Understood. All right, uh, Gordon, I only have 10 seconds left. Any, 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 anything to be optimistic about? Uh, we're the United States of America, and as long as we have officers like General Holt, I'm optimistic. Unfortunately, he's retired. <laughs> He's no, he's no longer in the military. Maybe maybe we could fix that somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let me see the tweet one more time. The most important part in this tweet, and I think we can all embrace it, is pray hard, right? See the tweet? And we're going to say, yes, let's pray with all of our hearts. Thank you, gentlemen. I'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Carson. Under President Joe Biden's volatile economy, we are at the cusp of an economic meltdown. The recent Silicon Valley bank failure sparked a deadly domino effect, and now nearly 200 banks across the country are teetering at the edge of collapse. Nobody's money is safe. Many depositors aren't insured by the FDIC and may lose access to their money completely. Wealthy Americans are withdrawing their cash fast and turning it to gold. The United States hasn't seen a potential chain of bank failures this catastrophic since the last Great Recession. It's time to protect your money today before your retirement disappears. Call Monetary Gold to receive their free protection guide at 800-586-9591. Learn how Americans are shielding their wealth from the bank collapses by diversifying in gold. Call now because tomorrow may be too late. Call Monetary Gold at 800-586-9591. That's 800-586-9591. You pledged uh, during your campaign to uh, keep New York City a sanctuary a city. Uh, do you have any concern that that, that policy uh, is, 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 for, is attracting more people to the border, more people to cross the border to make that dangerous no. trip? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, this city has always been a sanctuary city, and we've always managed those who wanted to come to uh, New York City to pursue the American dream. 
Oh, no, not at all. My words don't have consequences. Not at all. I'm a politician. Why would they have consequences? Well, people are coming to New York to this so-called sanctuary city. And guess the latest destination? Grammar school gymnasiums, middle school gymnasiums, high school gymnasiums, where kids go to school, they're putting migrants in the gymnasiums. They're putting the finishing touches on that plan. It seems totally absurd, but it is happening. Mark Simone, a great New Yorker and a great talk show host, radio talk show. You can find him on iHeartRadio. Welcome back, Mark. I really thought that that was some sort of spoof. There's no way they could put them in with kids, but they are. Well, I'll give the man credit. That was a beautiful suit. I love the tie. The shirt was perfect. If he spent as much time on this problem as he does on tailors and uh, buying clothes, we'd be much better off. This is absolutely ridiculous. He says it's a sanctuary city. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, said he deliberately sent these migrants to any place that said they were a sanctuary city. He he caused all these migrants to come here. We're up to about 65,000 of them. He has no clue where to put them. He's putting them in hotels. He's putting them in uh, school gyms. Uh, he, he, the one thing he doesn't know anything about is management. And managing this has completely stumped him. Yeah, no, he, he's, uh, he knew nothing. We knew that about him. Very few people in New York actually voted for him, and it went all to his head. He thinks he's emperor, and he's a very silly guy. Hey, isn't it amazing? Uh, we all know about Daniel Penny, the subway hero. He took down Jordan Neely. I didn't want this guy to die. I don't want anybody to die. I want everybody to live to be 100 years old. But according to everyone, he was uh, Jordan Neely was threatening people on that train. They keep calling it a chokehold, by the way. I don't know if it technically was. It uh, to me, it looked like an upper body restraint maneuver. But what do you think about all the all the people supporting uh, Mr. Penny? Well, you know, a lot of them are being led. I'm, I'm reading the New York Times. It said a homeless man. Uh, at, at that moment, this was not a homeless man. This was a, a terrorist, literally terrorizing people on the subway, yelling, screaming, threatening them. This is a guy who kidnapped a seven-year-old girl, uh, punched a senior citizen in the face, punched a woman in the face, tried to throw somebody in the tracks just the day before. This is a terrorist terrorizing people. You know, the uh, the legal scholars like Alan Dershowitz will tell you, when this goes to trial, uh, this manslaughter charge requires recklessness, and if anybody just tried to do that kind of a hold, maybe it's reckless. But this is a trained Marine. Well, you know something about that. This guy was trained in this hold, so he's a professional. He knows how to do it, so I think that eliminates the recklessness, which gets him off the hook legally, I hope. By the way, uh, I was talking to somebody today, and uh, it's hard to believe that Donald Trump, less than two months ago, was arrested was arrested and nobody really seems to remember what for it's kind of crazy uh and you compare that to what we just saw in the durham report if i could get your thoughts if you don't mind on the durham report i mean let's face it we needed this thing two or three years ago he buried it in all kinds of bureaucratic language um but there is some good stuff in here what do you make of it it's it's frightening it's uh, it's j edgar hoover all over again that's what j edgar hoover used to do when a new president would come in he'd show him all kinds of dirt, folders, files, things he had on him. And they tried to do this with Donald Trump. They tried to create this. I mean, this is the craziest story in the world. Donald Trump, a Russian agent. Can you picture this? It was fabricated. It was fraud. It was done by the Clinton campaign. And the FBI pitched right in and helped the leadership of the FBI 
Comey, uh, Strzok, Page. These are horrible, horrible guys who not only uh, uh, did this awful stuff, but they've ruined the FBI's reputation. It's going to take years to rep uh, repair this reputation with the public. By the way, you know Donald Trump pretty well. You've known him for over 30 years. Um, what is it that about him that gets under their skin so much? I mean, I understand the tweets, you know, some he's not everybody's cup of tea, but to break every precedent, to go after him like this, what is it about him? What, do you, what, what sets him off so much? Uh, every president is a, a swamp guy, a, a, an establishment guy, an establishment guy. And every president we've ever had grew up on a farm or they grew up on the suburbs or they... They grew up in a rural area. They, this is the first big city president we've ever had. And in this case, from Queens, where people you know, have big mouths and talk a lot. We've never had anybody enter the arena from a big city, from Queens, a guy in the construction industry. And he goes right for the jugular when it comes to the establishment. Yeah. He tries to bust up their little game, and they're terrified of that. Great analysis. And, oh, by the way, he's from the big city, but he gets along great with people in rural areas from the country, mid-side cities, small towns, everybody. It's, uh, it's really something. It's great. All right. Mark Simone, to be continued, check him out on iHeartRadio. Thank you, sir. And we'll be right back. So the loss in Afghanistan. What a horrible, horrible moment. America losing a war. We invested 20 years, how many lives, how much money. And look at the chaotic scene there and those, those soldiers and Marines who were killed because of Joe Biden's recklessness. And the point man on Afghanistan was the national security advisor, a guy named Jake Sullivan, national security advisor. He's still on the job, wasn't fired. He can't secure Afghanistan. He can't secure America. And he can't secure his own house he was broken into. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm glad nobody was hurt. But it is a little bit funny. It occurred last month, not detected by the Secret Service that was guarding his house person was possibly intoxicated, goes into his house. He doesn't lock the front door, just like the border is wide open. His house is wide open. Again, glad nobody was hurt. Try locking the front door. And the Secret Service should have caught that. Oh, by the way, very strange, but kind of typical in a weird way when you get to uh, the Biden administration. All right. Barack Obama, 2004. Remember when he conned America and everybody fell in love with him? Go into any inner city neighborhood and folks will tell you that government alone can't teach our kids to learn. They know that parents have to teach that children can't achieve unless we raise their expectations and turn off the television sets and eradicate the slander that says a black youth with a book is acting white. They know those things. Wow, did you hear that? A black youth with a book is acting white. That's what he said. I never heard of such a thing until he said that. If that is a stigma, that's a real problem, right? A real problem. Anyway, that was in 2004 when he was trying to make people like him. And now he's got all the money in the world, all the status. He really doesn't need votes. Um, but he still likes to get out there and pretend that he's involved in philanthropy. Uh, is this philanthropy? Hey, what's happening? Oh, wow. 
There was no cynicism in this room. And the former president dropped by. Truthfully, I'm contemplating making OnlyFans. My OnlyFans will probably look at me like, are you crazy, man? But I'm just trying to make some mans and maybe help my mama see Jamaica, man. Talk to Papa T like, see you later, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I'm not a big rap fan. I think it's done a lot of damage to a lot of people. And uh, that guy was talking about only fans. I think that has a connotation. Barack Obama, when he was trying to win us over, America, was talking about literacy. And now he's hanging out, bobbing his head, uh, rap, and his comments about this group were actually a little bit troubling. Uh, more on that some other time. But I got to get to what he said about the media. About the media. Take a look at this. When I was coming up, you had three TV stations. Yeah. And people were getting a, a similar sense of what is true and what isn't, what was real and what was not. Today, what I'm most concerned about is the fact that because of the splintering of the media, we almost occupy different realities. If something happens in the past, everybody could say, all right, we may disagree on how to solve it, but at least we all agree that, yeah, that's an issue. Now, People will say, well, that didn't happen, or I don't believe that. And one of, I think, the goals of the Obama Foundation and, and one of the goals of my post-presidency is how do we return to that common conversation? How, how can we have a common set of facts? This is actually, sounds nice, but it's dangerous. He's friends with big tech. Big tech, they're going to decide what's fact, what's fiction. We know how that goes. Keep your eye on this. This is a dangerous, dangerous initiative of his. Hey, thank you very much. I enjoyed this. I hope you do too. I'll see you tomorrow.